1: Hi everyone and welcome to Confessions of a Debut Novelist with me, your host, Chloe Timms. In this episode, I'm talking to Natalie, aka N.A. Cooper, about her thriller, Ripple Effect. Natalie studied psychology and criminology at university before obtaining a master's. She's a keen marathon runner and likes to spend as much time outdoors as possible. I was so inspired hearing Natalie's journey to publication. She's done no courses or creative writing classes and encouragement came solely from her family and her own passion to keep going. She researched indie publishers herself online and ended up with a three-book deal with Cambridge-based Bloodhound Books. We also talk about her tips for adding suspense and battling perfectionism in those early drafts. But first, here's N.A. Cooper with an excerpt from Ripple Effect.
2: Fifteen years ago, I'm waiting where he told me to, in the space between the trees and the abandoned manor house. It's half past nine but still light, the low sun casting long shadows that are playing tricks on my mind. It's been an unbearably hot day and the humidity is still clinging, determined to make it into the night. I stand in the shadow of the old east wing, graffiti covering the entirety of the wall, a collage of garish scrawls trying to pass for art. Feeling vulnerable and exposed, I check my watch again. He's late. The excitement of sneaking out of the house has waned, replaced by a sense of foreboding, the staring of doubts that have remained hidden until now. I'm starting to think it's a bad idea, a fantasy that should have remained in my head. When I hear something, the soft crunch of leaves, the snapping of twigs underfoot, the faint rustle of the trees as they're disturbed, I'm hit by a sudden wave of fear. What if it's not him? Then I see him. He emerges through an opening in the trees and hurries down the forgotten footpath, snaking out towards the house. Towards me. I run to him, the excitement returning, boundless, reckless. I throw my arms around his neck and he lifts me off the ground, pulling me close to his chest and kissing me hard. You're late, Mr Miller, I'm here now, aren't I? I thought you'd change your mind. He smiles. Never. But what did I tell you? Outside school, it's Danny. Mr Miller makes me feel old. I laugh. You are old. Oh, is that right? He picks me up and lifts me over his shoulder, carrying me back towards the house. I fight at first, playfully thrashing around and giggling. Then I let myself go my arms hanging towards the floor as he carries me effortlessly over the dry, hard ground.
1: Hi Natalie, welcome to the podcast. I'm really happy to have you on with me today to discuss your debut psychological suspense novel, Ripple Effect.
3: Thank you for having me.
1: So can you start by telling us what Ripple Effect is about?
3: Yeah, so it follows a dual timeline, 15 years ago and the present day. And 15 years ago, Erin is involved in an illicit relationship with her teacher, which ultimately ends in tragedy and changes the course of her life. In the present day, Erin is attacked and rescued by local man Nick, um, who ultimately she begins to confide in. She's living a very lonely life. um, She's distanced herself from everyone and everything. Um, sinister letters begin to appear and neighbour tells her that someone has been watching her house and she realises that she can no longer hide from her path.
1: I was totally gripped reading this novel and there was so much kind of tension throughout and I'm going to ask you a bit about that later because that is such a skill to kind of make it, well I guess the cliche is page turning but it's totally true for this novel. Thank you. I was wondering where the idea came from and also... Was it always your intention to write Psychological Suspense or had you ever kind of played with maybe being a crime writer? What What was the kind of journey for you to coming up with this idea?
3: Um, I think it was initially the idea came from just wanting to explore the idea of the ripple effect and how consequences aren't always fair or proportionate um, and they aren't always immediate. And that's what we see with Erin. You know, something happens which changes the course of her life in such a brutal way. But as for whether I've always wanted to write psychological thrillers, I think it was purely a case of just always wanting to write. And that genre was the natural choice for me because that was kind of my reading taste at the time and, and still is largely. But yeah, I think it was just, that's where my ideas were. So that's what was my first choice.
1: Mm. And as I said, I was completely gripped and hooked when I was reading this novel. I think there's a real skill in maintaining that kind of tension and that kind of there's a little bit of a mystery element to the novel because she receives these letters you're not really sure who they're from and of course we're seeing her past relationship I mean we know because of the type of relationship it is that something is bound to go wrong so I was wondering whether you are someone who really plans for this kind of suspense do you kind of make sure you've got lots of things going through the novel that are going to keep the reader hooked or is that something you kind of worked out later as you were editing it?
3: Um, so I think a mixture of the two I think alternating chapters definitely helps with the suspense um, aspect and always I, I tend to keep my chapters quite short which I think makes it pacey and just kind of drip feeding that information in there Um, But I I don't really plan books. I have like a main idea and then have this really intense period where I just write like crazy. And then there comes a point where I think I have to assess, you know, where is this going? And but once once the main bones of the book are there, I find it easier to go back through and think, okay, are there any bits that are a bit lacking um, and I need to up the suspense? Um, But yeah, I'm, I'm very much. I like to get the first draft down and then go back through it and you know see where I need to add things.
1: How long does it take you then to write that first draft if you wrote it in a kind of frenzy?
3: <laughs> I'd say I think usually, so if if I can dedicate a lot of time, probably you know six to eight weeks, but that's a very loose, chaotic first draft. And sometimes it's all, you know almost a complete rewrite to get it where where I want it. The ripple effect, it was longer. I think because of circumstances at the time and the fact that it was my first book and I think I was trying to be too much of a perfectionist, you know, thinking I need to, every chapter needs to be perfect before I can move on. But I think that's definitely Mm -hmm. my writing style has developed since then.
1: Do you think you're better now at kind of just going, I know I'm going to have to come back to it. I know it's not great, but I just need to go on to the next chapter. Yeah,
3: definitely. And I think as well, I could never in the first draft get to a bit, hit a bit of, um, uh, you know, I don't know what to write here and just leave it. I'd have to see, Okay, we need to finish this bit before I can move on. Now I can just write in, finish this um, or, you know, a quick note to myself and move on and power through other chapters that are flowing more naturally at that point and come back to it with, you know, a, a fresh pair of eyes. And actually, it's much easier to write at that point
1: yeah I totally relate to that I really used to struggle with that myself um and now I've got better at leaving myself like notes like you know fill in this bit a bit more or do some research here but then when I'm coming back to that I, I look at that note and think yeah. oh no why did, why did I make myself do that especially you know? if it's
3: something like um I would consider like like fact checking or something that requires quite a lot of research I'm like oh why did I leave this to the end do you know I should have I should have stuck with it then and but you're not always in the, the right frame of mind to do that or oh, sometimes I'm itching to get on with the story so I think it's best mm. if it's flowing quite naturally to, to get on with it and come back to those bits
1: yeah sometimes I find things like dialogue sometimes that is really flowing and you just better to get that yeah. down and then come back to kind of like the bits in between and um I've I'm talking to you now I've literally just finished and writing this morning and the dialogue was going really well but I was just like everything else is like way through treacle <laughs> and I was like gonna write the dialogue and just kind of give up and yeah. move on um but I think it is hard I think that kind of perfectionist thing I think I don't know whether you feel the same but I still hang on to that a little bit and I know it's not I know it's not gotta be perfect but there's still a part of me that thinks oh I really need to make this a bit better before I move on so it is quite tempting yeah. to go I, back.
3: I do still struggle with it and um, definitely especially if I, I feel like it's a key thing um yeah I feel like oh I- Really want to resolve this, or or but at least before I finish that day of writing, because otherwise it'll play on my mind as I go to bed in the evening, and I end up kind of waking up in the middle of the night <laughs> thinking yeah. about it. So yeah, there's definitely elements of um, being a perfectionist still there, but I I think it probably gets easier um, with time.
1: Well, yes. we hope so. <laughs> so the the difficult thing with asking people who've written a kind of twisty book like yours and or a book with a lot of secrets is I have to be very careful in in what I give away and what we talk about. But um, I wanted to ask really, because I found that by the time I got to the end of your novel, there was it was very it was a kind of surprising end but but believable. So I wondered whether the kind of things that happen towards the end of the book or what we lead up to, were they things that you would kind of Always known were going to happen, or were they things that you worked out as you were going along, or maybe you thought about at the end? I know. I guess if you were, if you hadn't planned it, did you, did you even have some kind of idea of what the ending would be? Yes,
3: yeah, so I think the main outcome. um Yeah, it's difficult to talk about it like in ways. <laughs> so so the, the main outcome. Yeah, I, I always kind of knew the direction it would go in. Um, but how to get to that point was definitely something that I had to figure out more towards the end. And a couple of things did change. Um, you know, I'd read it through and think that doesn't quite work. And I'd have to change a few bits. Um, but yeah, the, the main idea was definitely there from, from the start.
1: There's so many things I want to ask you, but I can't <laughs> because they're too put away. <laughs> So I wondered if you could talk a little bit about why you chose to alternate the chapters. So some chapters are about Erin's relationship with her teacher and the other chapters are present day. I think like you've mentioned, it's nice sometimes to, as a writer, to give yourself a break and to write something else. Sometimes when you get a bit stuck, it's nice to flip into the other perspective. But um, why did you kind of choose to alternate those chapters?
3: Um, So initially it wasn't that way. It, It was purely present day. And I probably wrote Between a third and half book, purely in present day perspective, um, with kind of flashbacks of her thinking about things. Um, But the more I wrote, I think it it became obvious that to do her story justice, I needed to incorporate that dual timeline. Um, And I'm glad that I did because I I think it really gave a a deeper sense of you know what she went through and why she is the way that she is and lives the way that she does. but, yeah, it was it was definitely not going to be that way to begin with because I was so invested in that current timeline. So it was hard when I had to stop and then start again. It felt almost like I was starting a new book halfway through. Um, mm-hmm. But once I got into it, it was, like you say, sometimes it was a welcome
1: break. So do you think you've got quite a good instinct for kind of just making those nice decisions because... Um you said like you you made that decision when you were about halfway through, but you must have looked at that book and thought, oh, something not quite working here. So do you think you've got a good kind of eye for things like that?
3: Yeah, I think it comes with when you get to know your characters more, doesn't it? Like, I don't know about you, but for me, I find it hard to plan because I feel like I'm getting to know my characters in the process. Mm. And if I plan, which I've tried to do, um, because, you know, it would be easier if I could do that. But I just, I never seem to have, the ability to do it because I don't know my characters enough
1: Mm. so
3: yeah I end up in this kind of chaotic (laughs) you know towards the end where I'm thinking and now need to do some some element of planning but by then it's easier because I know my characters and I know you know with with this one and I knew that something had happened to Erin 15 years ago that I needed to write into the book and that I, I only felt could do justice by having a dual timeline
1: And obviously the novel is called Ripple Effect and we see how that relationship has had such a huge impact on her adult life. Can you talk about how it's affected her? And then also I wondered whether it was difficult to write a kind of um, a relationship like the one she has with her teacher. Because obviously as a reader, we're kind of repulsed by it. But you've got to kind of make it a convincing relationship and you've got to make it, you've got to make us Understand why Erin keeps doing it, I suppose, and and what happened in that part of her life. Um. So, what was that? What was that like to write, and how has that impacted Erin as an adult?
3: Um, yeah, it, it was difficult to write. Um. You know, when you're writing it, knowing that she is a victim, she doesn't see herself as a victim. Mm. Yeah, it was difficult at times. Um. You know, I'd be thinking, I oh, know, I just wanted to do this. So I would, please don't do this. <laughs> So yeah, and and it was, you know, it was on my mind that I needed to handle it sensitively um, while also doing the story justice. And obviously that relationship has enormous repercussions for her as an adult. She refers to her life as being a half-life. You know, she's had the first 15 years where she's lived an ordinary life, and then 15 years since she shut herself away from society and she's sacrificed so much of her life in order to feel safe. And I think She sees it as keeping her world small but risk averse um, because she she finds it so difficult to to trust people um, even though she's so lonely. She lives within the confines of Mm -hmm. this set of internal rules that she feels she has to live by in order to remain safe.
1: Yeah, it very much affects her relationship with other men as well. So not only has she kind of cut herself off from her father, she has a kind of long-term relationship that we can see is just not right for her because she doesn't really love him. And she's kind of got herself in this situation. Then there's Nick, who um, is a character that we sort of wonder what his intentions are throughout the book. Um, And you're forever thinking if only Erin could see it from our perspective, I think she'd be better off. Yeah,
3: definitely. (laughs) But yeah, it does. It impacts um, her relationships with everyone because if of the way that she views the world.
1: I want to talk a little bit more about your kind of writing journey to how you got here. And now that we're we're speaking, you've also just had another book released because Ripple Effect came out in January, your latest book, Unraveling Alice, came out in October. So we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, but I wanted to know a little bit more about you as a writer and whether you've always wanted to be an author. And when I mean, this is your first Ripple Effect is your first book, but have you kind of attempted to write novels before? Oh, yes, definitely
3: <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, so I absolutely always wanted to to write, but I never thought that it was um achievable as as a career may um you know I, I had a lot of um issues with confidence with being you know thinking that every time I started writing a book that it wasn't good enough um that I wouldn't finish it. Um, so that self doubt, yeah, I, th- I think it held me back for a long time um, in terms of finishing a book. I started so many, I, I wouldn't even like to guess how many <laughs> in, in a few different genres. But I'd get to a point where that perfectionism kicked in and I'd just go back over and I'd reread what I'd, I'd already got down and edit it and keep going over the same thing again and never finish it.
0: You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
1: So what was different about Ripple Effect then? What what made you think this is the one and I'm going to finish it and I'm going to do something with it?
3: I think getting further than I'd ever managed to before with anything else, I suddenly had this moment of, I'm halfway through I can do it I've I've got half a book here I only need to write the other half and at times it felt a bit overwhelming I think you know wrapping up the end which I still feel now when I'm getting towards the end of a book and you're tying up loose ends and I still get that oh no am I going going to be able to do it but I think also the encouragement of I'd asked um, my sisters and a close friend to look over it for me, which I'd never done with any of my writing before, and having their support and them saying, you know, they was eager to read more um, really helped as well.
1: Do you think that you needed that kind of push from someone else to, to, to make you realise that you could do it and you could you could have this kind of finished novel
3: yeah I think so I, I to me writing had always been such a private thing before that I didn't mm. I didn't really tell anybody about I don't think you know many people knew that in an evening I used to dabble in writing you know the odd <laughs> chapter of a book and yeah so I, and because I never thought that it would lead anywhere I'd never really thought that I should tell anybody or ask anybody mm. for feedback and then yeah once I did I was pleasantly surprised and my confidence grew and I think yeah, that definitely gave me the momentum to see it through.
1: So it was your little secret for a while then so what did your family and friends <laughs> say when you said to them that well, I've been I've been writing a book? Yeah
3: I think they was a bit baffled um <laughs> yeah I mean my husband knew um obviously he used to see me writing in an evening and he he was always really encouraging about it but when I told my mum and dad they was a bit oh (laughs) you know you've you've wrote a a whole book and um, you're sending it off to people and hoping that you know something's going to come of it and they was really supportive but definitely surprised yeah.
1: (laughs) So it's been published with an indie publisher called Bloodhound Books and I was wondering because when this book was published by them. Um, You didn't have an agent. So I was wondering how the kind of book deal came about.
3: Um, Yeah. So once I'd finished my manuscript, a few people had read it and gave some feedback and I'd made a few alterations, I sent it out to some agents and a couple of indie publishers um, that accepted without an agent. And then I heard back from Bloodhound and they was really enthusiastic about the book. Um, had a conversation with them and decided to sign with them so I did the one book initially and then signed a three book contract after that with them so that's currently what I've I've just handed my my final book in as, as part of that
1: Yeah, brilliant. So when you, did you just kind of discover Bloodhound by, like, getting on Google and kind of having a look around what was out there? I think
3: so, yeah. It's it's hard, isn't it? Because when, obviously, you get querying and you get bogged down through so so much information out there. But I remember reading about them and seeing the sort of books that they published and thinking it would be a good fit and just thinking... I'll give it a go and see, see what happens and mm. yeah it was really quick in getting back to me and yeah it's been it's been so much fun being with them.
1: So tell us then about your second of which came out in October Unraveling Alice, what's that about?
3: Um, So it, it's a draw timeline again um, but only one year apart and it's about a woman Alice who thinks that the world is against her. She becomes obsessed with this person who she believes is responsible for the breakdown in her relationship. Um, And then a year later she meets the guy and gets talking to him and he ends up kidnapping her. And she realizes that this man has got a link to her past.
1: You obviously love a kind of a story that's the past is so important in the present day story. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So you've released two novels in the space of a year and I want to hear about your kind of process, because I know you've said the first draft kind of happens in a really fast frenzy. Are you a kind of very organised writer as well? Because I'm guessing, obviously, Ripple Effect came in January, this book came in October, so you didn't have a a great deal of time to write in. So how did you kind of tackle that? Um,
3: Yes, I'm not particularly organised as as a writer. I wish that I was. um, I wish that I could be more organised. But to me, it's like, writing takes over and everything else just gets put underneath that it's just <laughs> like post-it notes everywhere I can't even read what they, they're they trying to tell me um but at some point I have to get organized you know once the first draft's done or towards the end of the first draft I tend to go through timelines character profiles and things like that and um try and make sure that there's no you know gaping plot holes or inconsistencies and things like that but yeah i i I don't have a set plan when I start out on writing. You know, it's very much more of a natural process of the characters developing. And sometimes it's surprising me halfway through to what I thought might happen. Um, so, yeah, I, I do, I would like to become more organised. I see people posting, you know, spreadsheets and wall charts and all sorts. And I, I am very envious of that. <laughs> <laughs>
1: What was your experience like writing the second book um, in comparison to the first? Was it, did you think it was quite different?
3: Yeah, definitely different. I think the belief in myself um, was a huge factor, thinking I didn't have the doubt that I would ever finish it, which kind of plagued me through the first book. Yeah, so it was, I would say, probably more of an enjoyable process in that I thought, you know, this is going somewhere from the start. Um, but yeah, a completely different experience purely because of the the confidence aspect, and obviously I had the backing as well of, of um, Bloodhound, my publisher by that mm. point, and they was very supportive, and I always knew that I could go to them if, if I needed um, you know any support, or to ask any questions. So yeah, that that also um, made it more of an enjoyable experience.
1: So I'm guessing you had to kind of pitch them an idea for your second book, did you? Um, yeah so I think we had a discussion
3: about what I was thinking and then then I just delivered the full manuscript and um waited to see their thoughts on it before being paired with an
1: editor. Oh okay so they weren't kind of heavily involved in in the initial writing process then they kind of left you to work it out yourself. Yeah
3: they're very um, they're very good in that I, I have an idea I kind of give them this frantic um, what do you think about this <laughs> <laughs> um Yes and sometimes I'll get a bit of feedback you know um, of of where to go with it but yeah they're they're very good at um, letting me kind of get on with what I want to
1: write. Mm. Yeah that's great they've got kind of a lot of trust in their writers that's that's really good. So do you find it a challenge then to kind of keep coming up because I know you've got another book on contract with them as well and it must be it must be difficult to kind of keep coming up with these plots that are really gripping but also kind of twisty and exciting and how do you how do you come up with these ideas
3: I think the first three books are ideas that have been in my mind for a while so when I was writing my second it was very much like which one shall I go for? you know and, and I, then I couldn't wait to get to the next idea because I think they was kind of half formed in my head by that point and the characters were, were quite real when it comes to my Fourth book, I think that's when it became a bit more. You know, I was needing to look for inspiration a bit more. I think it's for me. I c- it can be something very simple, going just going out and people watching, or you know, hearing a story or something that's happened that can spark an idea. But yeah, I think it definitely is going to get more difficult as, as you go on, isn't mm-hmm. it? Because you don't want to. I don't want all the books to be too similar. So yeah, yeah. I've got to start. Um, you know, looking look elsewhere for different inspiration
1: I think it's hard when people kind of expect a certain type of book from you as well and you don't want to you don't want to kind of go to their field and they read it and think this is totally different from her last book and yeah. I didn't enjoy it but at the same time it would get boring for you if you were writing the same kind of book every time yeah. I think I'm interested to know because I always want to know where people get their ideas from was there particularly for your kind of um your fourth book Where you had to kind of make a bit more effort in terms of really trying to find an idea. Can you remember whether there was like a spark or, you know, a moment where you suddenly thought, oh, that that could be a good idea?
3: I think I I knew that the fourth book is um, essentially about an affair and the fallout of an affair. And then once I knew kind of the idea of what I wanted to write, yeah, I did need to think about you know, how I was going to make that more, of. obviously it's not going to be just about an affair, there's going to be some other (laughs) aspects to it Um, and how to link those two in together. There was definitely a lot of brainstorming and um, rewrites and, you know, even now that the fourth book, I'm still going back over it and um, deciding whether I need to, you know, incorporate some um, suspense earlier on in the book. So I have found that the trickiest one to write um I've, I've enjoyed writing it but I've found that it's been more of like a jigsaw puzzle of putting different things together um but yeah mm. I can't remember like a specific moment Of I, I was probably like too tired and chaotic at the time <laughs>
1: <laughs> I know there are some people that have that you know precise moment and they remember it and um I think I feel like I'm like you in that my ideas come as jigsaw puzzles a little bit so you get an idea from there and then you read something else and that gives you another idea and um that doesn't always make an exciting story to tell people because you can't go well I was doing this and suddenly (laughs) I had an amazing idea yeah
3: no I wish I could have those like light bulb moments everything falls into place but no for me it is more of like a few days of kind of thinking oh I'd you know is this going to go anywhere what's going to happen and then you know maybe there is a moment where you feel like you've got a small win but it's definitely more Mm. like steps for me
1: so is there anything you know now now that you've had two books out that you kind of wish you'd known about the process or about being an author before you'd started
3: I think like like we've discussed um, with the perfectionist element I wish I could have just said to myself just write a first draft and get it down and then go back over it and edit it rather than going through each chapter and like painstakingly slowly going through and feeling that every sentence had to be perfect Um, you know get it down because the momentum is what's going to carry the story for me that's Mm. how I develop the plot and the characters is the more I write the easier it becomes because you know you know the characters um, and what their intentions are you know what they would do and wouldn't do um, and I think I've got in my head that I needed to have a plan Um, so yeah I wish I could tell myself it's okay not to have a plan Um, you know a plan will come together at some point and just to continue writing and get it down and get that momentum going mm,
1: I suppose the lesson is like the way you're doing it is perfectly fine if it works for you there's no kind of set specific way that you have to work like you say you don't need a plan you don't need to make every chapter perfect and the thing is if you spend let's say four days perfecting chapter three chapter three might end up getting deleted yes. so yeah, that's, that's four days of wasted work <laughs> exactly yeah
3: you can't I think it is it's just best to, to get it all down there because like you say after you've done the first draft so much changes I mean my first chapter in Effect was never I think it was you know completely different leading into the story to begin Mm. with and things get moved around and you know you decide to alter certain chapters so there's no point getting too um caught up in the structure and the order of things too early on
1: yeah I feel like I can I can sit here and say this but I am also my own worst enemy because I know that I do it. I'm I'm terrible. And um I remember giving doing an event recently and and one of my previous writing tutors was sat there and I was like, I'm really sorry, but I still do it. <laughs> I still go over chapters and kind of tweak tweak bits here and yeah. there. Um yeah. but it is I think it's something I'm slowly letting go of. Mm-hmm. Um I'd like to say in two books time I might finally be there. But um I think it's something we all have to just get used to this idea that the first draft is not going to be our best work but that's okay
3: then yeah, I think yeah that's that's the lesson that I wish wish I'd have known sooner And um, but that said much like you have just said you know I, I still do it from time to time I still <laughs> have to catch myself and move myself along and you know yeah. give myself a little pep talk
1: <laughs> so we've already briefly touched on it already but finally can you tell us what is next so do you have I know you, you do so let's let's hear about your next psychological suspense novel
3: um so I've got um the third book comes out on February the 8th and that's called The Quiet Space Between Us um and then the fourth book comes out in June that's um, called The Affair um really excited about both the third is a, a first for me in that there's no dual timeline um, and it's very stripped back story about a woman called Ida who is living in solitary in the middle of the Welsh countryside and surviving purely on um, food drops um, from her partner, Cal, who is out in the world. And it's all very, you know, you don't know why she's there initially. Um, and it, it's, it's all about her story.
1: Wow they, that sounds really exciting and um, I'm excited to read Unraveling Alice as well you've got so much going on Natalie um you know I know there's even more on the horizon for you so oh, thank you, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today thank you for having me I've loved it that was N.A. Cooper talking about her thriller Ripple Effect which is out now and available to buy and if you'd like to support this podcast debut authors and independent bookshops You can now shop in the Confessions of a Debut Novelist bookshop, hosted by bookshop.org, which I've linked down below in the show notes. If you fancy buying any of the books you've heard on this podcast, then the majority of them can be found in this bookshop. And if you can, I would really appreciate you supporting me, supporting the authors and independent bookshops by buying them through this online store. Thank you so much for listening. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Or if you've subscribed already, it would be great if you could leave me a review. See you next time.